Lent, namely a penitential period, a time when people come to grips with their limitations, their sins, their attachments, to prepare for real communion with God. Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host, and I'm joined here in our new setup for the Word on Fire show by Bishop Robert Barron. Bishop Barron, good to see you. Hey, Brandon, good to see you. Good to hear from you. We talked about this in the last episode, but we've revamped the setups, not only of your YouTube commentaries, but also this Word on Fire show. We're still in the same studio space, which is a really, really small room there at the Mission in Santa Barbara, but we've been able to turn it into multiple sets now, and we're all just so enthusiastic about the way it looks now. What do you think? Yeah, thanks to our donors. It's uh, it's wonderful, you know, and we got to just keep going and doing the Lord's work, and um, it's expensive, as I say, and so we're grateful to those who've uh, helped us with this. Bishop, you recently uh, visited the uh, Carmelite Sisters of Alhambra out there in your region. Tell us what that visit was like. Uh, they're a marvelous community, about 140 sisters, I think. Uh, they were founded way back in the um, in Mexico, actually, during the, uh, the Cristero period, and their, their foundress, the wonderful uh, Madre Luisita, came up here to the States to, to flee the persecution back in the 20s, and then established the community in uh, LA. And I was at one of the sites now of their, of their uh, order. They take care of, of the poor and the sick and the, and the aged. And they're just a marvelous, um, up, uplifting, life-giving uh, community to be with. Um, so there was a joy. I, I celebrated the Mass for the uh, birthday of the Foundress. And then there was a wonderful show they put on for me afterwards in the Carmelite tradition. That goes back to the Little Flower. Remember she talks about they would put on these plays and so on. Well, they still do that. And uh, they were they were kind of teasing me by making um, uh, Madre Luisita one of the pivotal players, and so they used some of the film from our uh, work. So they were just a delight. We'll have to film episode thirteen of Pivotal Players yeah. to feature her in there, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're recording this just a, a couple of days before Lent begins. Ash Wednesday is on February twenty sixth this year. And so I thought we'd spend this whole episode discussing Lent, what it means, how we do it, um, what it's looked like throughout the ages. Uh, so first of all, I guess a basic question, what's the purpose of Lent, these 40 days before Easter? Why does the church give that to us? What's it supposed to be about? To prepare us for Easter. You know, Brandon, it goes way back. Uh, in really all the great religious traditions, you find something like Lent, namely a penitential period, a time when people come to grips with their limitations, their sins, their attachments, to prepare for real communion with God. And that's the purpose of Lent, is to get us ready for Easter. You know, part of it is, we can just become blasé, I suppose, about an event like the resurrection of Jesus. We've, we've known about it, we've, we've heard about it, we celebrate it every year, but are we ready for it? That's what Lent is. Um, so it corresponds, of course, to Jesus' own 40 days in the desert, preparing for his public ministry. Um, I think for all of us, it's just indispensable that on a regular basis, we go into the desert. A lot of important things happen in the desert, and that's the, the purpose of Lent. I know for a lot of Catholics, maybe the majority of Catholics in the pew, when we hear Lent, we just think, okay, giving up chocolate. Like, that's what basically Lent means, you know? And there's nothing, I don't want to uh, bemoan that and say that that's bad. It's, it's good to give up something uh, that you're maybe attached to, but 
Is Lent more than that? <laughs> what, what more is Lent than just giving up sweets for 40 days? Yeah, and that can be one expression of it. Uh, classically, Lent uh, involves three practices. Prayer, fasting, and that's where even something like that comes in. And thirdly, almsgiving. So those are the three classical practices. Something, Brandon, I like to emphasize is Lent is not so much in here. It's a set of things that we do. Pray during Lent. Fast during Lent. Give alms during Lent. Three activities, three things that we do. That, I think, helps to um, orient us to this holy season. Let's talk about each of those three pillars. Maybe we'll spend a good amount of time on each one. So, first of all, prayer. Prayer. I think this is the one most obviously people associate with Lent. It tends to be a time when the church in the liturgy and through devotions deepens its intensity of prayer. How do we do this? What do you recommend to to Catholics to deepen their prayer during Lent? First of all, prayer is the raising of the mind and the heart to God, the famous definition from John Damascene. I love that, to raise the mind and the heart to God. It means to attend to God, to be aware of God, to seek communion with God in a conscious way. Raising up of the mind, yes, with all of our consciousness and attentiveness, our perception, our intellectual um, ability, but also to raise up the heart to God. So our passions and our feelings and our emotions and the longings of our soul, to do that in a very explicit, conscious way is to pray. So I think, you know, this morning I begin every day with a holy hour. And I go into my chapel, and I I genuflect before the Blessed Sacrament, and then I just enter into this hour of prayer. It involves the office and other things, the rosary and so on. But the basic move is I'm consciously raising my mind and heart to God. It's so easy for us just to lose track of that. So that's what the essence of prayer is. Now, how do you do it? All kinds of uh, practices we could recommend. What's the greatest prayer? The Mass. I'd say to Catholics, maybe who've drifted away, if you stop going to Mass on Sunday, Lent is a great time now to say, I am going to go back to Sunday Mass. Do you go to Mass on Sunday? Okay, how about daily Mass during Lent? Or even, I'm going to go you know, twice during the week during Lent. That whatever you're doing in regard to the Mass, raise it a level, intensify it. Maybe enter more deeply into the Mass. Get a a study guide or a book or a a video or something on the Mass so you can more deeply appreciate it. I mentioned the Rosary. It's a very important prayer. Um, If you've been away from the Rosary for a long time, well, find it. It's probably in a drawer somewhere in your house or it's gathering dust somewhere. Find it. Use it. Pray it. If it's difficult for you, maybe try once a week. Each week during Lent, you're going to pray the rosary. Try it twice a week. I'd recommend pray it every day if you can. Um, The Jesus prayer is one that I've always recommended. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the whole Jesus prayer. But you can pray it over and again for a minute, for five minutes, for ten minutes, for an hour. Let it become part of of the rhythm of your breathing. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Try that prayer during Lent. Devotions, the, the stations of the cross, to go to your local church and to do that prayerful meditation 
on the, uh, on the death of Jesus. Um, enter into these devotions maybe you haven't practiced since you were a kid. And you say, oh, it's been so long. Well, okay, Lent's a good time to, to enter into those again. So those are all ways, you know, Brandon, that we can pray. Uh, I mentioned the holy hour. Now, maybe that's, that's relatively advanced, I guess. But, you know, Fulton Sheen, one of our great heroes, recommended it to every priest when he gave a retreat, lay people when he gave them a retreat. His practical advice was, every day, spend an hour before the Blessed Sacrament. Maybe you're getting started, it's a holy 15 minutes, it's a holy half hour. Okay, start with that if you want. But spend time in um, adoration. May I say, I, I might have mentioned this now in an earlier show, Brandon, that when I met with the uh, Pope for the Ad Limina visit, when the bishops of, of my region met with him, one of the first things he said to us was, teach your people adoration. Teach your people adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And um, that stayed in my mind. So another prayerful practice you could uh, exercise during Lent. All those are, are ways. Is there an especially Lenten character of prayer uh, that maybe is distinct from other liturgical seasons? I'm thinking like of the season of Advent, which takes the form of expectation and longing. You know, how long, O Lord, how long? Or, O come, O come, O Israel. How about Lent? Is there a specific character of Lenten prayer? Well, it's probably penitential in form, you know, getting in touch with my own weakness, um, asking the Lord for forgiveness, asking for help in your struggle against, you know, your own vices and your own attachments, your own sin. Um, you know, Brandon, it's, it's not a morbid thing at all. Getting in touch with your sinfulness is a great form of prayer. If I, before the Lord, confess, so I, there's the formal sacrament of, of reconciliation, but just the, the confession of sin in the presence of the Lord, that's a good prayerful practice. And it's not, it's not shouldn't depress you. It's, it's in front of the Lord who loves you more than you love yourself. And to say, help me deal with, Lord, this issue. You know, in Ignatius Loyola, you've got the consciousness examine at the end of the day. It's when you kind of review your day in light of God. Um, all the great things happened to you, the opportunities, the graces, but also all the things that blocked you. you know, today I had the opportunity, Lord, to do this work of charity, but I didn't do it. Uh, today, Lord, I allowed that person just to bug me, and I, I didn't reach out in forgiveness and love. I, I had this chance, which I, you know, missed. Good, good. Don't don't feel, you know, that you're falling into the, the slough of despond. I mean, you're you're confessing in the presence of the Lord. Those are all forms of Lenten prayer, it seems to me. So that's the first major pillar of Lent prayer. Let's look at the second pillar, which is fasting. Now, Bishop, you know, fasting has become all the rage in the world in general, in our general culture. You know, you talk about intermittent fasting, people fasting for various health benefits, uh, bodybuilding benefits, but from a religious perspective, from a spiritual perspective, why do we fast? What are the spiritual benefits of fasting? Well, attachment detachment, right, is a great spiritual category. We tend to get attached to uh, created things and we make them godlike in our lives. They take on an exaggerated importance. When that happens, it's good sometimes to actively detach oneself from them so as to find what the soul really wants. See, the soul can be so caught up in, in uh, secondary goods 
that it even begins to forget what it really wants. So if you're so sated all the time by, by seeking out a sensual pleasure, you can forget boy, that your soul wants something much more than that. We're longing ultimately for God. Only in God is the soul at rest. So we all know that. Every sinner knows it. But I think our culture especially, that kind of awful, sickly feeling when you're sated by a lot of uh, sensual pleasures, food or drink or sex, as Aquinas put it, but your soul is left arid. Your soul is left unsatisfied. Well, one of the practices is to fast, purposely to set aside some of these uh, sensual pleasures so as to allow the deeper hungers to emerge. Please, it has nothing to do with Puritanism or Platonism or dualism. It doesn't mean that we, we hate pleasure. You know, that's a caricature. I, I mean, maybe some Christian expressions have, have uh, fallen into that. But that's a, that's a caricature. Uh, Christians love the world because God made it good. We love food and drink and, and sensual pleasure. But they can become so dominant that we forget the deepest longing of the heart. And so we fast so as to allow that hunger to emerge. Something I've always loved from uh, Thomas Merton, where he said, the, the sensual desires can be like little kids. I want it, I want it, I want it. A little kid that wants something right now. And even though you know, look, that's not good for you. You know, we're going to eat in an hour. And you don't need an ice cream cone right now. But I want it, I want it, I want it. And if we allow our, our sensual desires to dominate us, it's like that. We start doing things that aren't good for us. So fasting is a wonderful way to rediscover the deepest longing of the heart. Um, it, it's not a, a Platonism or a Puritanism. It's a spiritual cleansing, if you want, to allow the, the deepest hunger to, uh, to express itself. Bishop, the minimum that the church asks of Catholics during Lent in terms of fasting is to abstain from meat on all Fridays and then on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday to fast. And at least in America, the way fasting is defined is one small meal with maybe a couple of snacks. Um, you've worked with a lot of people in spiritual direction elsewhere. Is that minimum usually what you recommend to most people? Do you recommend they fast more than that? And how do you make that determination? Yeah, I've always said to people, look, at the very least, uh, do what the church asks. It's not that demanding. And I'll say this too, Brandon, uh, you know, many years now of living through Lent, very often it's precisely the Friday abstinence that stays most in my mind or kind of bugs me the most or, you know what I mean, that I, I'm most aware that it's Lent because, you know, and I think you and I have this in common, I don't like fish. And so for me, it's a real, I don't want to exaggerate, <laughs> like it's a terrible suffering, but it, it does get my attention, let's put it that way, Friday and Lent, because I can't have meat and I can't have fish. And so it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Well, that's all good. See, that's good because it, it brings it into my body, the fact of Lent. It brings it in, into my practical planning that I'm aware of Lent. So at the very least, yeah, follow what the church recommends. There's some people, you know, I know there are fish lovers that, oh, I love fish, so they have an extra helping, you know, on Friday. It's kind of defeating the purpose, you know. Uh, I've often encouraged people, is there a form of, of sensual pleasure that's too dominant in your life? Name that, and then try to get some control over it. 
uh, still have the church's recommendations about fasting, but maybe that you could push it a little bit further. Uh, maybe it is skipping a meal, uh, you know, once a week. Um, I know some people who do really, really serious fasting, like, like bread and water fasting on a Friday during Lent. Okay, as you say, we're doing it now for, for bodybuilding purposes and, and health purposes, so, you know, why not for spiritual purpose too? There's something mysterious too, Brandon, isn't there? It goes right back to the Bible itself, and it comes up through the tradition that something about fasting accomplishes certain spiritual ends. And I can't explain that exactly. You know, but Jesus' famous line about, well, yeah, this, this type of demon only comes out through prayer and fasting. And I've talked to a number of uh, really spiritually alert people that I've known, and they'll say that. They'll say, oh yeah, fasting. If you want to accomplish that, you, you've got to fast. Now, why that works, <laughs> I don't entirely know. But uh, there's a lot of spiritual power to it. Now, as you say, how about something like, um, for a lot of us today, I'll include myself, you know, addiction to uh, video, not video games, but like the video, you know, the iPhone and the video stuff and screens. How about a little fasting from screens? Now, I realize the irony I'm saying this as I'm appearing on a screen, but uh, you know what I mean. Is it, We can get too caught up in that business. Fast a little bit. Cut back on purpose. Limit your time. Find something in your life that you think, I, I, I am giving this too much attention, and fast from it. All right, so we've looked at the first two pillars of Lent, prayer and fasting. Let's turn to the third and final one, which is almsgiving. What's the connection between almsgiving and the spiritual life? I think for a lot of people, the connection is obvious when it comes to prayer and fasting. Those seem to bear obvious spiritual fruit. But how does almsgiving help our souls? Oh gosh, in so many ways, huh? Because if the heart of the spiritual life is, is caritas, right? It's love, to will the good of the other. That's a very concrete way to will the good of the other. There are poor people around us um, all the time. Find a way during Lent to, to give to them, to give of yourself. And I like the fact that it has to do with money. It makes it really concrete because we can get very sort of gassy and abstract about that. You know, I, I'm, I'm giving of myself. Okay, but when it comes to, to money, I'm going to give alms. I'm really going to give uh, some material value to the poor. That cuts very close to the bone, doesn't it? It, it, it's, it brings it home in a very vivid way. So I think it, it not just encourages, it is charity. It, it is the very heart of the spiritual life. See, prayer is meant to give rise to charity, ultimately. Fasting is meant to give rise to charity because it links me more deeply to God, who is caritas, who is love. So almsgiving, in some ways, that's, that's what it's all about. It also, I think, really heightens our sense of solidarity within the mystical body, that we're connected to each other. We cannot say, someone who's suffering, um, that's their problem. I'm not going to worry about it. It's not my problem. No, it's our problem. It's our problem. Certainly all we who are baptized, but Aquinas speaks even of you know, the virtual mystical body, that, that everyone in principle is meant to be part of the mystical body. And so anyone, anywhere who's suffering is brother and sister to me. And almsgiving um, signals that you know, in, a, in a very vivid way. I, I think you know, I live out here in California where the homeless problem is very acute and it's becoming more acute all over the place. 
Are there poor people literally at our doorsteps now? Yeah, very often. Lent is a beautiful time, you know, to do something to um, reach out to them. Yeah, maybe offer a few more examples. I think when it comes to almsgiving, a lot of people just have in mind maybe dropping an extra envelope in the collection plate when it passes on Sunday, maybe writing a check to a charity, but what are some ways we can give alms beyond just that? And, and those aren't bad. I mean, so even those things you mentioned kind of off the top of your head, those are, those are good. But think of so many ways. Let's say um, you typically tip uh, 15% at a, a restaurant or 20%. How about in Lent up at 5%? It's like, as a form of almsgiving, tip your waiter or waitress a little more than you usually do. Um, how about during Lent? I realize this might get you on every mailing list in America, but you just make a resolution that any time during Lent some solicitation for money comes from a charity, give something. You're not going to ask any questions. You're just going to say, okay, I abandon myself to God's providence, and God will send me uh, places that need my help. Give something. Um, put a poor box in your, in your house for Lent, especially like um, you know, you've got all your kids, Brandon, people with big families. Uh, whenever anyone leaves the house, they have to put something in the poor box. And it could be a little bit, could be a dime, it could be a dollar, whatever. But how about for those 40 days, every time you leave the house, you're going to put something in the poor box to remind you of those in the world who are in great need. Um, um, one that I've recommended over the years, and I, boy, I challenge myself because I'm not very good at following this, but when you're buying something, during Lent, whether you're buying a car, you're buying a, uh, you're buying a suit of clothes, you're buying a TV set, or you're buying you know, groceries, find the item that you really want and could afford, but on purpose, buy the next level down, the one that's less expensive, and give the difference to the poor. So let's say make it, you know, we'll give a grand example. I'm buying a car, and, and here's the car I want, and, and I could afford it. All right, on purpose, get the next one down, but give the difference to the poor. Uh, there's that TV set I really want. I want that giant TV set, and I could afford that. Buy a smaller one. Give the difference to the poor. Um, all kinds of ways. And, and be creative, you know. One thing I recommend, too, during Lent, make sure you've got uh, loose dollar bills and all that in your pocket so that when someone you see on the street uh, is, is asking for money, Maybe, especially during Lent, you say, I, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to have any hesitation. I'm just going to give something. Um, just get an almsgiving mentality in, in mind all during those 40 days. Well, it's time now for our question from one of our listeners. We love hearing from our listeners, and we'd love to hear your question. Just send it in by visiting askbishopbaron.com. You can record your question on any device. Today we have one from Sarah, who lives in Central Texas, and she's got a burning question about God's nature. Here's her question. My name is Sarah, and I'm from Central Texas. My question is, how do I respond to someone if they made the statement, if God made us in God's image, and God prefers a family to be husband, wife, and children, then it must mean that there is God represented as mother. 
Yeah, thanks. I mean, it's a, it's a complex, really, set of questions you're raising. Uh, can God be represented as mother? Sure, in a way. Uh, the Bible uses maternal metaphors a lot for God. Um, God, you know, in, in himself, of course, is beyond gender specification. God's a spirit. So we wouldn't talk about God being gendered the way we are. And so can we use metaphors drawn from, from the feminine world? Of course. And the Bible does it all the time. So God loves us the way, you know, could a mother forget her child? Even if she forget, I will never forget you. I've carved you in the palm of my hand, um, etc. So sure, we can represent God that way. Um, what I wouldn't do is kind of overdraw the, the connection or overstate the metaphor. There is something like family, that God is like a family, because we talk about Father, Son, and Spirit. There is real differentiation among the persons. But I, I wouldn't overdraw it. If now we have to say, well, God's like, like father, mother, child. Um, if I can be a little bold, uh, follow Baltazar here, in a way the differences among the persons are greater than any differences in the created order. You know what I'm saying? That they're, they're the ground for all differentiation. So uh, are men and women different? Of course. And are the father and son and spirit different? Yeah, even, even more dramatically. But I wouldn't press the, the metaphors that we have to see within God, mother, you know, father, mother, and child. Um, feminine metaphors, sure. But um, I'd stick with father, son, and spirit. Well, thanks for that question, Sarah, and thanks to all of you for watching and listening to this episode of the Word on Fire show. Again, if you haven't seen the new setup for the Word on Fire show, be sure to go to wordonfireshow.com, click on this episode, view the video version, or you can find it on YouTube and Facebook. Also, I've mentioned this over the last few episodes. I'll mention it one more time that as we're beginning Lent, I want to encourage you to encourage your parish to sign up for the Word on Fire Engage platform. We're offering it for free during Lent. You can find it at wordonfireshow.com engage. When your parish signs up, you get all sorts of cool tools and resources to evangelize your parish, including full access to all of Bishop Barron's films and study programs for every parishioner. That means every person in your parish can watch the Catholicism series, the Pivotal Player series, all of Bishop Barron's study programs. So if that sounds appealing, go to wordonfireshow.com engage. Well, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Word on Fire show.